Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Hey everyone, I wanted to let you know that this June, I'll be heading to the Oregon countryside to teach a six-day seminar on how to strengthen your marriage and create a stronger sexual bond with your spouse. The treat's going to be a phenomenal experience, as they always are, and I hope you'll consider joining us. You can learn more about this event by clicking on the link in our show notes. Do you have a perfectionistic child? Well, maybe you're not quite sure. Today, you'll learn from two experts on how to recognize if your child is navigating life with perfectionistic tendencies in control and what you can begin to do about it. I was the stereotypical perfectionist as a teenager, for sure. As a kid, I don't remember. (laughs) But I know as a teen in the most defining years of my life, I loved to achieve. I sought my value and constant affirmation through my own success. And I was completely and independently diligent about doing the right things and in the right ways. Maybe you recognize your own child in that description. Or perhaps you have a kid who seems to stop before they really start. Or maybe they seem lazy, insecure, or paralyzed in their lack of effort. They are likely perfectionists too. Being a parent of a perfectionist is complicated and confusing. How much do you step in and when? Should you praise achievement or the lack thereof? What do you do with that? How can you parent and empower these unique kids? This has been one of the most requested topics by our audience, how to parent perfectionistic kids. And I totally get why because I have one myself. Today, we are going to begin to answer these questions. And I said begin, because this is part one, and later this week, we will release part two. Our guests today are experts, moms, and sisters. Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife has been on the show many times, and her sister, Carolyn Bever. They are both back on the show to explore how to parent and empower perfectionistic children. We released an episode back in January of 2021, all about how to pursue excellence outside of perfectionism. But as part of that discussion, parenting just kept coming up. And both of these women said that they were happy to take on parenting for perfectionistic kids as well. As professionals, Jennifer as a therapist and Carolyn as a prolific violin teacher and a new interior designer, both of these women deal with perfectionism from their clients. But as moms, they also see it in their children in varying ways. They understand how challenging this form of parenting is. Today, in part one of our discussion, you will hear us clear up some confusion. Jennifer and Carolyn will teach us how to know if our kids are navigating from a place of perfectionism, why that is not something to praise or uphold, and what you as a parent can begin to do about it all. I start this interview by asking these sisters about their own professional experiences with perfectionism. You're going to first hear from Carolyn. I know you've 
both worked with perfectionistic people. You've worked with perfectionistic children more, Carolyn, Jennifer, you, parents. and mm-hmm. I was going to say, and perfectionistic parents mm-hmm. and Jennifer, you probably worked with both too, just with, yes. with your work. I mean, you primarily work with adults, but I'm sure yeah. things with children have come up. So yeah. let's set the scene a little bit and just describe a bit of, of your own experience with this. So Carolyn, how about you share that with us? Okay. And then sure. Jennifer. Yeah. So as a violin teacher, I work with the same families for an extended period of time. And so it's of course, not just with the violin that will come up, but you know, there's a lot of kids that don't want to take on a new piece or don't want to start an activity at school or don't want to try a new challenge because the fear of not being good at it or not being good at it right away limits them. And they have no sense of really what their true capability of that, you know, new thing is going to be. And so, you know, it's hard because you see them limit their experiences and then they feel internally probably bad about not doing it. You know, it's, there's not an appreciation of the process and, or the appreciation of the failing and the appreciation of what we're going to overcome with those challenges and how to settle ourselves down. And then, you know, of course, the parents sometimes bring their own anxieties into it as well. And so you can see the kids managing the parents' anxieties and their wants for their kids. Hmm. It's, I find that that is honestly sometimes the hardest thing is to have the parents and the kids assuming that their parents know everything and that their parents are fully developed. You know, yes. rather than these are two people in this room and a triangle with me and we all have our limitations, but we owe it to the kids in the room, the child in the room, to manage ourselves, manage our own, you know, anxieties and wants for this student to figure out what is their capability at this level? How can I bring them to the next level in a way that is, you know, allowing them to figure out what their strengths are and how they can manage to go to that next level. I'm remembering from our first interview we did together, Jennifer, you said perfectionism is a lack of development and we can expect that in kids, especially those right. who are doing things like being in, you know, learning how to become an incredible musician, like the students that you have worked with for many years, but also in their parents and how those two work together. And I'm sure a lot of people listening don't have, you know, children who are at that advanced level of musical training, but they still are exhibiting these behaviors and signs. Mm -hmm. And it's important, like you said, to also manage how you might be contributing to the problem. We're going to get to that more, but that's a nice way to set the scene a bit too. And and Jennifer, before we dig in more to the conversation, I I would also love to hear from you. What does this look like dealing Mm -hmm. with perfectionistic children in your personal and professional life? Yeah. Well, I mostly work with adults, of course. And so, you know, the perfectionism It's just so much a part of the human experience. It's something Mm. where so many of us 
until we reach a certain level of development, which often is like around age 70 when we get over it. No! <laughs> but there is this kind of linking of value with flawlessness that's, or superiority. It's really hard to see our way through, especially when we're younger. So, you know, I see a lot of adults that are still grappling with those that they were struggling with as children and, and are still trying to work their way out of as adults. So I see it more in that frame. I, you know, I can talk about this more. I certainly have seen it in my own children and I've seen my own problematic role in some of that, how some of my own perfectionism has exacerbated some of their vulnerabilities. And so, you know, I kind of know it mostly on that level when it comes to kids as my own kids. Yeah. And it was fun to hear more about your son specifically last time and yeah. just, yeah. And just how you, you know, you're like everybody else, you're human, you bring your own anxieties yeah. to the table in parenting. And that's a big yes. part of what we want to talk today about today is how we as parents can better show up for and empower our perfectionistic children, yes. especially when they are at a prime time of development. That's right. In this way. So they don't, you know, get into the patterns that many of us are still working on ourselves as adults. So this might seem like a dumb question, but I think it bears discussion. Where does perfectionism come from? You've both talked about this a little bit here, anxiety, lack of development. It's just the human experience, but with kids, let's pinpoint that a little bit more. Where is this coming from for them? Well, you know, right, as you were saying, like, this is a lot to do with human development. And so, as I've talked about before, I think on this podcast is that when we're first born, when we're young, we don't have a reference point for our value, except to look to other people to tell us we're okay. And human beings love success. They love competency. They love talent. So it's not hard for kids to figure out pretty quickly what gets rewarded, hmm. right? What, what gets paid attention to, what gets celebrated. And because you're trying to earn your value just naturally as a child through other people's eyes, it can be, unless you have a parent who's very clear and is a strong antidote to that kind of thinking, you can very quickly feel like if I'm not good at reading, I'm less than the kids that are good at reading. It's just natural to say like, I, my mom looks worried when I can't read that word. And she seems excited when my sister can, for example. And so it's very easy to quickly start understanding that competency gets rewarded. And if you see your own incompetencies to feel that that makes you inferior. So that's, you know, learning this lesson that we all genuinely matter, that we all have inherent value that our gifts are not indications of our value. They're literally gifts. I mean, that is to say, we are all just sort of in certain bodies, certain experiences that we haven't chosen. And we get the benefit or the challenge of those positions and to be humble about that and clear about that and hold on to our value in the face of that is a spiritually challenging process that takes time to really work ourselves out around. And, you know, we can talk about this more, but who your parents are, the messages you've heard around who you are as a human being will certainly make a difference. But it isn't everything because it is a developmental process. Even if you have the world's best parents, 
that you still have this meaning to work out within yourself. Biologically, some are more anxious and sensitive to these things than others are. So some will be naturally more inclined to be perfectionistic and conscientious to a detriment than others. So there's also a biological piece in this. And I think that any, any person who has, you know, two or more children, they, they see yes. that a lot of times, yeah, yeah. Kid, well, not a lot of times, every time a kid is born in certain ways, not that I can't be nurtured or developed, like you're saying, but you just, you see that difference almost from day one, you can see yes. the differences in how yes. they are showing up to the world. You know, Carolyn, early on in the, in the interview, you said something about how perfectionistic children have a fear of not being good. And that to me is a big part of the problem, right? Because with their, you know, underdeveloped minds and immaturity, like they only see things in binary. So right. good does not have a real clear definition. It's, right. it's extreme. I, I, I think what, yeah, what in your experience has shown that to be true? Yeah. I mean, I think again, it's all this, you know, ambiguous reference point, right? What I think is good, what they think is good, what their parents think is good. You know, we can't, you know, having that external reference point is our issue. That's our biggest thing to overcome is how do we, and of course, in their development, understanding what they are capable of, what are they in control of? Because with external referencing all the time, we have to, of course, grow out of it. And we have to figure out, you know, I do want to do good in the world. I want to do the right thing. But what is it that I believe hmm. is the right thing? And, how, you know, I remember growing up, you know, and just having grown up say like, you're going to get to know yourself. You're going to really know who you are. I didn't know what they were talking about mm -hmm. forever. Yeah. I still think it's such a vague way of saying it. Right. But, you know, until you know what your capacities are, what are your limitations? I know what I'm not good at and I can forgive myself for that. It's easier to forgive myself for what I'm not good at because I do have a few things that I know I am good at. When you're a child and you're an adolescent, a lot of times you don't know what you're good at. And so when you know what you're bad at, it's much harder to bear that hmm. because then you don't have a sense of just even stability of gosh, you know, it seems like Sally has, you know, X, Y, and Z, and she's got a better Barbie collection, whatever that I remember, you know, growing up and just thinking, gosh, like, God, what, what, what do I have, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was never, you know, the student that was really a master at anything. And so when I see students grapple with those things, it's just, it's so painful to watch them go through that, but there's no other way. You have mm. to go through it. You can't, mm. can't solve that problem for them. You can absolutely guide them through it and manage yourself in the process and learn as an adult from them. But as parents, we have passed a lot of, of, of our own insecurities onto them and giving our children the gift of accepting our limitations not asking our children to fulfill something for us that their job isn't, that isn't their job. They can track it when we do it. You know, it's so horrible when we, when I see it in parents and I have to sometimes even just say, 
you know, remember this isn't about you and, uh, you know, mm. this is about the process and we want to help them, you know, with the work ethic and with the, the perseverance, not the product. That's where yes. our jobs are. Mm -hmm. And that is something I feel like I've learned only as an adult fully mm -hmm. is that the transformation lies in the process, not the outcome. Right. That's mm -hmm. where the real growth is, but you can't go through that if you're not willing to also accept failure as part of the process and your own limitations as you go along. And I, we're going to get way more into some practical ways. Parents can model this, teach it and, and beyond. We've kind of talked more about the why, why they struggle with perfectionism. I, I, I do want to talk before the tips about what it can look like, because it's not always the stereotypical behavior you might expect in a perfectionistic mm -hmm. child, but it also might be that too. So stereotypically let's go there first. And then un what is that? Is that a word? Okay. Unstereotypically? <laughs> What's the yeah. word? Sure. Who knows? It's a good okay. one. Okay. It's now it's a word. <laughs> okay. So let's start with stereotypically. What could it look like? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we know what in sort of two forms, I think one, the stereotypical one is of course, conscientious, N nothing is ever good enough, trying and trying and trying, spending hours on a paper because it's never quite perfect enough. So I think a lot of times people say, I'm not a perfectionist because they were never that, or they're looking for that in their child. And I have one child who does lean in that direction, mm -hmm. super conscientious, super, you know, kind of hard on herself if she's not done it really well. But then the other version can be in this don't try version, right? Don't, don't even extend yourself into that uncertainty because if you fail, it will crush your sense of yourself. So it can look like not caring. And, you know, I remember one of my kids saying to me, mom, this is not about not caring because it seemed like an underexertion like an under, you know, and it's more like I'm, I feel some paralysis around. I don't want to expose myself. I'd rather say I didn't try mm. than try and fail. And a lot of people do that and they'll call themselves lazy or they don't care, but it's really for very many people, that is not the right picture. That's mm -hmm. the same things Carolyn brought up about anxieties yes. and fear of not doing, doing well with an unknown, right. ambiguous definition, anything to add there, Carolyn? Well, I mean, I would just say, I think some of your listeners might really understand the word perfectionism, but you know, if I have some violent families that are going to listen to this, I just, you know, even asking, I had, you know, a conversation with, with Leah, my design business partner about some of her thoughts around it. She's 27 and just kind of wanting a, a perspective. And even in talking to her, I realized that she was referencing it as a good thing. Yeah. Mm. And I just want to be very clear that, and I, you know, again, your listeners understand, but it's really a lack of development, right? We aren't there yet. This isn't, it can look like over-functioning. It can look like under-functioning. Either mm. way, we're not at peace. Yeah. And either way we're externally referencing. Yes. And so I just wanted to just, you know, and she was saying, well, gosh, it's not even like I got it from you guys. We watch movies and mm -hmm. you see this, this image of this perfect life, this perfect 
doer, mm-hmm. this per social media is brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. Yes. And it just causes so much pain because of course, you know, we don't have to go into this, but again, it's the kids that I am teaching now, it is much harder for them to get positive messages of what it is to be a normal human being. February is the month of love, right? So it's so appropriate and fun to have this month's sponsor be Coconut. Coconut's number one mission is to bring couples together through their fully certified organic personal products. From their oil-based to water-based lubricants to their hemp-infused body oil, my personal favorite, there's something there for you. They have their new singles back in stock too, so maybe it's time for a little getaway even. Have you checked the ingredients on your personal products lately? Go and do that and then follow me because it is time for an upgrade. You can get any of your Coconut products for 15% off right now using the code aboutprogress at aboutprogress.com slash coconut. That code aboutprogress is all caps and one word and coconut is spelled C-O-C-O-N-U aboutprogress.com slash coconut. I have some very exciting things coming your way. And at the top of my list is a new mini course I'm creating all about habit formation outside of perfectionism. For those who are on my go-getter newsletter, you will get early access to my pre-sell and at a major discount. And that's going to happen likely sometime in March. So to be the first in the know, get on my newsletter by going to aboutprogress.com slash go-getter. So what they can look for are, you know, those examples of, of perhaps compulsive behavior where they can't stop until it's good enough. A lot of anxiety, focus on failure, their inadequacies, overachieving. And we also can focus on those who seem apathetic or lazy or frozen, you know, Mm -hmm. paralyzed, not trying, Mm -hmm. but for all the same reasons that the root of knowing who they are is externalized. Yeah. Yeah. I notice it in depression. Yeah. You know, seeing some that paralysis and, you know, just real sadness. Yeah. Right. Some people that are depressed and under functioning, it sounds like an insult. So I don't like that word, but they're not, yes, they're not engaging in the, into the activities that they may want, even on some level that they may value. And that can be exactly that, that the depression is like, they maybe came out of a system or a family that was very high demand or that they have a high demand within themselves. And so they don't go do those things, but then it reinforces the sense of I'm a failure. I can't, which increases that sense of paralysis. So it can be a really challenging meaning spiral that is very easy to get into. Mm -hmm. And especially for young people, I mean, I was listening to a podcast recently about social media and especially its impact on girls who have much higher, as a collective, adolescent girls now have much higher depression and anxiety scores because they're getting on these forums and seeing all these perfectionistic images, perfectionistic ideas, ideas that they're getting left out of things because friends are tagging friends. That's, you know, just a kind of awareness of, of a very curated picture of humanity and then judging themselves against that. And it's just brutal. It's just 
it's such an insecure time already to be an adolescent, even in the best of circumstances. There is mm -hmm. so much uncertainty. Your body's changing, you have acne, you don't yet have any sense of what your real capacities are. Very few people know, have any idea what they want to become at that point. And yet they're trying to manage this question of their own value. And so that perfectionism is just in so many kids' hearts because they're trying to establish that they matter. And, yeah. you know, I don't know what we do about social media, but it is very, very unkind to our kids. I'm glad that you it's brought that up. all of us, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not just kids. It's, it's, it's all of us for sure. Yeah. And, you know, even, you know, 20 plus years ago when I was a teen and, and I remember routinely in my middle school and, and high school times, just staying up late at night, but not because I was doing things, although that usually was the case, but I was staying up late at night, basically in this pit of despair over how bad I was in mm -hmm. all ways, you know? Yeah. And I think that's way more common than when you think yes. and that was even outside of the social media age. And yes. so awareness seems to be a big part of the thing that we need to tackle as parents is just trying yes. to look for these signs, whether they are exhibiting overtly or just, you know, as a parent, you can sense that something's different or yes. something's going on with your kid that you have to dig into more. So let's, let's move into some ways that they can actually help their kids once yes. they have more of awareness. I, I think this is something they're struggling with and what they can do to help these kids learn how to have an, a more internal reward and value system inside of themselves instead of on the outside. Yeah. Carolyn, how about let's start with you? Any, any ways that they can start? Yes. I love going before Jennifer. Because <laughs> <laughs> I say things and then she says it way better. No, uh, I first, I guess I also want to say is, you know, it takes a village and yes, I'm an educator, okay. but I really like the idea of we're in this together in all ways. Hmm. So if you teach something in like your church or in your, you know, 4-H program, like I think that we have a big impact on kids that are not ours mm -hmm. because they don't push from that parental role. And I just, you know, we all want to hug the people that have influenced our children's lives because mm -hmm. we can't always do it for them. And I just want to kind of invite the listeners to just make it a priority to look after yeah. others' children's, yeah. you know, struggles. And we circle can the wagons, circle yeah. the wagons. Yeah, exactly. Circle the wagons. And just know that, you know, we, if we think about the adults that made a difference in our lives, mm -hmm. it's a big deal. It's a really Absolutely. big deal. Yeah. And we know that too. I mean, you know, sometimes it's, it just has to come from someone outside of the family. So have that awareness of your sphere of influence outside of your family, but also use it. Yes, exactly. Okay. Have the confidence yeah. that you can yeah. make a difference and those little things matter, you know, just again, like, gosh, I really appreciate your efforts and, and help with this, you know, so, yeah. something that, and again, and, and we're praising the correct thing. Right. So I would say, you know, my first tip is to praise the process, mm -hmm. you know, pr and praise the failure, mm -hmm. praise the, the, the settling down of the failure, you know, settling yourself down to, to, to handle the failure and, and reminding them to find the joy. And I know it's not so cliche and the learning, but not the result. Like life isn't about this end thing. We're not going to yes. be happy when we get somewhere. We're going to yep. be happy today if we choose to be happy and, and, in the little things that give us peace and pleasure. You know, I have to tackle after this call, really scary things. 
right? Mm. And, you know, I, I have to move through it. That's the only way to get to the other side. I can avoid mm -hmm. it. I'm not going to feel better. It's going to hurt. And then it's only going to be harder. So it's like, you know, just pushing myself and my students to make small steps to get to that end. And, and we'll feel so much better when we do. I also think telling stories, I tell them to my students all the time. It makes me a real person. And I always tell, you know, of when this person said this and how did I manage it? And, you know, what we're, and don't always tell the happy ending stories, you know, mm -hmm. tell the ones where they were brutally challenging and you still got, you know, made fun of, or you didn't get the grade you wanted or whatever, so that they know you're, you're real and you're in this with them. And, and then obviously my third tip is to keep track of our own insecurities. You know, <laughs> our kids are not there to massage our egos and to make you a more successful person, whatever, you know, silly notions that we have. And, and so don't transfer them and give them the gift of accepting yourself. Don't pass that yes. on to them, you know, <laughs> give them the gift of, of acknowledging what it is to be human. Mm -hmm. It's hugely loving and, and it's the way we can break the cycle. It's such a trap that's so easy to fall into because there's nothing more important to us than our children. And because yeah. of that, there it, it's, it's easy to understand why we can place our value as parents on how our kids are performing and how they're doing. And so, like you've said, it's, it's a nice balance of removing our own insecurities and acceptance while also encouraging this process in them and modeling what that looks like. I love that you brought in storytelling. And, and by the way, we have a link, we have some language in our, in our community called the process and it's small wins built over time. And, mm. and that's what you, you exactly. teach with. Yeah. Failure along the way. Thank you. Those are fantastic. Uh, oh. Yeah. Jennifer, you took them all. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Right. Jen's gonna take that. Well, too. I was gonna. <laughs> before we move on, I'm sure you have some tips too, Jennifer. But can, <laughs> can you help well, us? Well, apparently, I've gone first. I would have some. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I, I am convinced you guys should have your own podcast. I'm like, I love, <laughs> I love it. This. Uh, what is yeah. settling down? I learned this from you, but some people who've heard that language, or, or maybe it's their first time hearing that. And they're like, what does that mean? Settling yourself down, teaching, how do you teach a child to settle down mm -hmm. when the fear and the anxiety, the failures coming up? Well, it, yeah. So that's a great question. I mean, I think that in some ways, just to track that we are getting anxious when we're mapping our child's anxiety or that our perfectionism is getting kicked up when we see our children failing or succeeding for that matter. And that we're in sometimes without even recognizing it in a state of mind in which we're trying to prove something about ourselves through our child. Okay. And so the best way to teach someone else how to settle down is you have to be settled down yourself. So, hmm. you, so you have to start with yourself and I'll, I'll tell this anecdote. So uh, my oldest child is on the autism spectrum. And then my, I have three children, but then my youngest is, is not, but, she, and they both were taking violin and my youngest wanted to be a violinist from about, you know, 
12 months of age. She just was always wanted it, loved it, craved it. My oldest is more, you know, a mathematician and very, very cerebral. His motor skills are very challenged for him. And so I would sometimes have these experiences of going to these camps where my oldest was the, by far the oldest child in his respective group. He was sometimes getting tracked by the teachers and adults as odd, like they didn't quite understand what was going on. I could track that they were not sure how to relate to him. He would be working so hard, but he would not be doing it as well as even he wanted to be doing it. But he was working so hard, which is like makes me like, you know, he wanted so much to master it. And then, and then my daughter would go into her respective classes and she would be the most exceptional and the youngest. Right. And so there was like this duality of, of what it meant about me pulling me in both directions. And I could see myself not being a good parent in both situations, just to be Mm. really honest about it. Like I, I could feel my anxiety going up with my oldest And I could feel my pride in the worst sense of the word with my youngest. And I didn't like either thing about me. I I could feel that this was wrong, like that it was off. And the thing is, is that whether or not I wanted it to be true, my children were mapping me Hmm. because they're smart enough to track who the parent is, you know? And so I remember actually calling Carolyn when I was at the camp and just having a conversation with her. And I can't remember specifically what, what we were, how I was talking to her about it and what she was saying back, but I just knew like, I've, I've got to stop this. I've, I've got to do better. And I have to be all in for my oldest child and for his earnestness and his, and never mind what other people think that's on them. I'm giving my full loyalty to his devotion and his earnestness because that is what matters and him improving over this week even if others improved way more or whatever I mean like like who cares that's not the point the point is his willingness to do something outside of his comfort zone very challenging for him tolerating that he's the oldest kid in that group Mm -hmm. and still doing it anyway it means and that is the virtue that takes courage. It's like, that is the virtue. And that it comes easily for my daughter. That's not really a virtue. That doesn't make her bad, obviously. It's just what she was more wired up to do. It's not also detracting from her hard work, but put the focus on her hard work. Because if I put it on the product, it will undermine her ability when she starts being with people who are better and better. And therefore many people who will be better than her. It's it's corroded this internal process because uh, it's been too product focused, which I think I did too much of with her when she was younger. Like I would be, you know, so proud of, of her ability, but that actually infected, I think this more genuine internal process that belonged to her because she was getting the validation. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I'd love to go back in time and just be clear where I am now. You yeah. can't really learn it till you're in it. But knowing that, and your kids are still going to struggle with this on some level, even if you are perfect at this, so to speak, because it's the wrong yes. word, but even if you've really mastered <laughs> the understanding of this, 
Uh, but nonetheless, the more you can really value this process that belongs to them, learning mm -hmm. how to take where they are and move forward, that they're only in a race with themselves, right? That that's a kind of to help them see that just improving on where they were yesterday is because there's nothing wrong with it excellence. I mean, sometimes when people say, well, perfect, I'm like, wait a minute, what's, that? what about excellence? Or what about becoming good at something? Is that bad? Right? And that's not, that's not the issue. You, as you say, all the time, Monica, it's about progress, not perfection. So how do I improve on where I am and valuing that because that's where all the virtue is, the courage to walk into the dark, the courage to walk towards what you don't know, what you haven't yet mastered. That's, what I work really hard to value in my kids now is walking with them, understanding where they are in their own development, in their own uncertainty, in their own anxiety, and valuing explicitly the challenge that they're in and the courage that they, when they exhibit it and mm. how it comes back to give them greater peace when they walk into the uncertainty and allow themselves to be human in it. Hmm. I hope this episode gave you the hug and kick in the pants that you need to grow or to parent those complicated but awesome kids, right? So I'm going to share the progress pointers from this episode. This is the cliff notes. So that way you don't have to try to take notes frantically. And by the way, do you know that I have transcripts on all of my episodes up on the website? So if you want to follow along that way, just go to aboutprogress.com slash podcast. Okay, so here are the progress pointers and my go-getter newsletter. Subscribers get this every week in a beautiful graphic form. Number one, perfectionistic children can be overperforming or underperforming. Either way, their sense of self and worth are driven by what they produce and a relentless fear of failure. They're afraid of the process of progress. Two, as a parent, your challenge is to separate your own sense of worth and value in parenting from how your children are performing. Number three, tips for parenting these kids include circle the wagons and use other people to help your child learn to progress outside of perfectionism, model and praise the process of growth, and use stories to illustrate the important role of failure to your children. And number four, most importantly, as a parent, you must start with better managing yourself. And there's a lot more on that coming in part two. Hey everyone, Jennifer here. I just wanted to remind you that this summer I'll be teaching my How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex course and I'll be doing it live over five sessions. Participating live gives you the opportunity to ask questions and receive feedback in real time. Plus, you'll get to hear my interactions with other parents in the session, which I think can be tremendously helpful as you think about how to implement what we're learning into your own experience. You can learn more about this opportunity and purchase your ticket by visiting the link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.